0: Now, now it really is recording.
1: Okay, so <laughs> this is Full Cast and Crew. I'm going to read the read that we're supposed to read quickly. It's a Full Cast and Crew is a podcast that chooses a film and goes down the rabbit hole of its IMDb Full Cast and Crew page, mining it for surprising appearances, unlikely connections, weird trivia, strange quotes, fractured takes, and quirky off-kilter digressions mostly quirky off-kilter digressions. And the first digression is that Chris and I just recorded for probably about a half hour, really intelligent, layered, in-depth conversation about Saturday Night Fever, which is our first movie. And Chris suddenly froze and stared at the (laughs) recorder for about 20 seconds of, of awkward silence when I didn't know what was going on. And then it dawned on both of us that the light was flashing, which means he had never pressed record. I'm glad in a way, Chris, because now I can self-edit in a way that I feel that I didn't have an opportunity to do before. I think
0: we're both warmed up.
1: So I'm going to give you a chance now to give your first ever take on Saturday Night Fever, which you had never seen in its entirety prior to watching it for this. So
0: what were your thoughts? I thought it was a fantastic film. I was shocked uh, at this, what I thought was just a bit of kitsch, what seemed to me like cashing in on the disco craze Mm -hmm. that five minutes. This was actually a very raw, insightful, complicated, right. independent film uh, about a marginalized community and somebody's striving to change their their station. I, I thought the performances were great. I thought it was a great glimpse into a part of New York that is that is gone, mm-hmm. but uh, still has echoes in other communities today. I thought it was fantastic. Great.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I'd i seen it a bunch of times, but I haven't seen it in a long time. And um, I was trying to think of another film that's regarded as sort of pop culturally is regarded just as the kitsch that, that I think we think of this movie. We think of the soundtrack and the DGs yeah. and the white suit and the light up floor. Um and and it is that, but it's also so dark. And I always forget yeah. that it's really dark and it's really it's powerful and moving and it has me totally in its grasp in the end. The final scene. It it's kind of silly to sit here now and say that like how deep is your love is is a moving song to play over the final scene of the movie, but it really is. Yeah. It always surprises me how weird the movie is in a good way. Yeah. And 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 what a what a mishmash of so many different things. It's not dissimilar in its own way to like Taxi Driver and other movies of the era that are kind of exploring. These marginalized characters and giving them really a voice and sort of like warts and all, like in a way that you don't even really see
0: movies today that try to do that. I mean, they pull no punches. It's funny to think that there was a time that that um, very ethnically Italian part of yeah. New York was not um, a voice that you that you right. heard and that right. that it was kind of a marginalized community. Yeah. And I do remember reading about Martin Scorsese when he was starting out. There was there was a kind of rawness and something like people had not. Mm-hmm. Uh, seen this, this side of right. New York and, and, yeah. of, and of life and that comes through in this you see this kind of rawness of, a, of somebody who is frustrated and whose only outlet is this kind of dancing right. and um, this one opportunity a week to to show off his, his masculinity his manhood and you get, you get that contrasted with his you know the opening scene is him walking down looking great with the uh, yeah. with, with the classic yeah. song carrying paint Yes. Back to his right. job at the hardware right. store. And that contrast between the two is, is fantastic. And that yeah. sort of stays throughout the whole movie. And he, he becomes such a complicated character. And in a funny way, it's
1: weird that the movie, it avoids like the gotta dance sort of trope. Like yeah. he does gotta dance. But they don't really belabor that and they don't make it cheesy ever. Yeah. Although... It's a little cheesy, of course. Like the concept of di- taking disco dancing as seriously as the movie takes it, takes it pretty seriously. Yeah. Aside from the probably the one throwaway character that I wish they'd just spent a little more attention on is the DJ. In first place, the coolest, the furthest they are broken, the boogie woogie man, the man that gave you coolness, hotness, and everything you wanted. They could have just spent 10 more minutes with whoever that actor was to be like, dude, okay, like you're, you're at 13, let's turn it down to nine and it'll be perfect. That's the one guy in the whole movie that's that's like in a different movie. He was hot. He was right on. I, I'm also attracted to in the movie the idea of being someone in this club. Like that that clearly when they walk in, there's so many great little throwaway moments. There's one moment about halfway through the movie when they're walking up the stairs to take their regular table and Travolta does this amazing thing, which I rewound like twice. There's a guy coming down the stairs as he's getting ready to go up the stairs and Travolta never breaks his stride Uh and the guy just like gets out of the way. It's such a small but brilliant description of the the self-importance that the faces have. Of course, we're going to our table unimpeded. You're not getting in our way. We're the faces. The movie has a lot of funny, like, small little moments like that. And then it has really broad and sort of caricature-based moments, too. That's why I say it's kind of a weird movie to yeah. watch in a way, is that it? it it's—I I always forget that it has um, the existential dread that it does. Yeah. You know, that it gets heavy, but not pretentious. So now we're on the full cast and crew page.
0: Yeah. Uh, so everybody knows who it stars. Everyone knows who it stars. Okay. Directed by John Badham. What did you think of the directing of the movie? I thought it was— Good. I thought it was good. Uh, it didn't seem like it had a particular style. It for me, it just read as raw and independent. So I liked it in that sense, but it did not seem particularly genius. What else is John Badam well, done? Right now, uh, Hotel Transylvania three. No, sorry, that's that's an ad. <laughs> well, let's see.
1: Blue Thunder, War Games, TV. He War, did Games. War Games, Short wow. Circuit, Stakeout, Bird on a Wire, The Hard Way. Um, he made some good movies here. He a made a lot of, of bad movies. There were some funny moments where I mean, again, I'm super picky, so I was looking at some of the like, the ADR moments that were off, like when Bobby was in conversation with Father Frank at the bar, looking at Father Frank, like, Bobby's not talking at all, yeah. and then the dialogue is so bad. Like, there's a lot of badly dubbed dialogue. But when I looked it up, you know the movie was made for three and a half million dollars. And it went on to make like $237 million. So it was, a. I guess, I don't know if that's a low-budget movie in 1977.
0: You know, probably I would, not. I would think that that's, the, yeah, that that's... I Average? Mean, because I know, uh, this is a little bit of a reach, 10 years later, yeah. when Ishtar was made, that was like $55 million. And that was considered like a huge, bloated epic.
1: Okay, dear listener, Chris... <laughs> As you'll learn, there's, there's an Ishtar thing that's going on. And I, and I don't. Just, I, are we doing, I are we doing Ishtar in this? That's on absolutely. your list. It's I've on never my seen list. that. Absol- so, it's, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris has a thing for Arguably Ishtar. Arguably the
0: uh, best satire of American Middle East policy uh, okay. ever put to film. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You can see where it's going. Arguably. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you know the
0: backstory of the movie? Cause that's an interesting one that I actually knew a little bit about. No, I, I had always heard that it was uh, Sylvester Stallone wrote it, but maybe. No, somebody I don't know where you, <laughs> I
1: don't know where you heard that. <laughs> no, Nick Cohn, who's I think a British magazine writer in the seventies mm-hmm. wrote this very famous article for a New York magazine. I think it was, it was called tribal rights of the new Saturday night. And it was a, it was like a phenomenon because it sort of encapsulated and described this disco culture. Now, of course, many years later it was revealed that he just made the whole thing up. That he drove out to this club, which is uh-huh. the same club that's in the movie, uh what's Disc 2001, 2001, whatever it's called. And he something happened and he like got sick and threw up on his shoes, so he had to go back to Manhattan, but he <laughs> caught a glimpse of a guy in the doorway who kind of reminded him of this gangster character that he knew in England. And from that and his his awareness of disco culture, he fabricated this whole thing that was presented as a nonfiction article in New York Magazine and was then optioned and turned into this movie. Wow. So that, that's a little Nick, Nick Cohn backstory for you there. Yeah, so the system works. Into the cast. I mean, this was Travolta's first leading role in a movie. He'd been in Carrie, Boy in the Bubbles and Made for yep. TV movie. I think there's another movie that he has a partial part in, but this is his first starring role. You're an actor- to be in your first movie and be this good, which is good, doesn't even really do it. I mean, it's beyond good. It's, it's iconic. Yeah, it and is iconic. It's, it's layered. It's complicated. It's, um, the, he can, the dancing is out of control. He's easily the best dancer in the whole movie, yeah. sensibly about dancing. Like and not in a fake Hollywood way, like we cut in some legs. Yeah. Like he's clearly doing all the dancing and can move better than anyone else in the whole movie. Yeah. And he can do the acting. He can give layers to the to the Tony Monero character, which would be which would be so easily turned into a one note, you know, portrayal by almost anybody else who did it.
0: Though, you know, not to take anything away from Travolta, I think a lot of that was in the way that the story was structured and scripted. I think he did capture a great job. And actually there's I keep think like keep going back to the idea of thinking of it as an indie and, and thinking of not them not realizing the kind of cultural impact that mm-hmm. they were going to make and that there were certain scenes that were like you said some of the things seemed kind of cheap and sort of mm-hmm. clumsy yeah like the ADR, but yeah. I'm also thinking of when he, um, after there's a, a scene early on where he does go out for a Saturday night, Yeah, comes back, in the he wakes yeah. up afterwards, yeah. and he sort of goes, somebody had said he looks like Al Pacino, yeah. Yeah. and he's like, uh, you know, looking he's like, I look like in the Al Pacino. mirror. He's like, yeah, maybe I do. Oh, man, a little Al Pacino. And then he walks out in his in his yeah, black the, underwear yeah. into the hall like his grandmother. And <laughs> grandma, and he, you know, he, uh, I don't know, he, what does he do? He, like, makes a muscle thing. Yeah, he makes a muscle thing, and he wiggles the hips, and, and she, he goes, Al Pacino! Yeah, she lifts up
1: her skirt and covers her face. Al Pacino. Yeah. Al Pacino. Adica. Al
0: Pacino. And that was not like perfectly executed. <laughs> it was like a sincerity of like how clumsy that was. Like I enjoyed it and I liked it, but I was not like, oh wow, here's here's this this highly trained clown. Who's really yeah. nailing the right. physical moment? But I think you know Travolta has like a star quality that is.
1: I'm showing you Nina Hansen, who's the Italian grandmother, and in the the Hansen, photo, that's an
0: Italian name
1: in the photo, which I think is from either The Exorcist Three or The Incident, another movie. She's also raising her dress to cover part of her face. So. That must have been what she was known for. As,
0: you know, there, there was a the time I was doing a lot of uh, Eastern yeah. European roles. You find your, you find your lane, and you just sort of. So you're saying stick you're not giving
1: it. Travolta that much credit? Then you're saying you think that the the layered portrayal is not a result of John Travolta's acting chops, but instead more to do with the screenplay.
0: I mean, I think it's a combination. of I'm sure there was like, hey, this is what should be there, and he's like, and he was able to nail it and do it. Like I think of the scenes between he and Stephanie where he is like wolfing down his hamburger. Yes. Like you know, they'll give you like. Uh, Two hours for lunch. You do something that's related. Oh, yeah. Like uh, we've seen Zeppelin's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I read that in high school. That's, uh, that's Shakespeare, right? No, it's a uh, the director of the movie. You know, the movie film. Uh, yeah. You know what? What I never
1: understood about uh, that, that, that Romeo and Juliet. I never understood why Romeo, he took the, the poison so quick. You know, I, I feel like he could have waited or something.
0: Well, that's the way they took the poison in those days. You're gonna eat here. Look at the menu. <gasps> no, no, I just have tea. Tea with lemon. I started drinking tea recently. You know, it's really a lot more refined. Oh yeah. Yeah. All those women executives in my office, they all drink tea with lemon. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they noticed that I do too. Yeah.
1: I like coffee. You know, I, I drink
0: coffee. Yeah. His ability to clock where she is yes. wrong and speaking down to him, but react right. or not react. He like, does a fantastic job with all of those things, but there is still something young and untrained about him. And like mm-hmm. I said, that's something that yeah. you know, he went on to become sure. better. That, that's really yeah, all yeah. that I'm saying is that I think what made it was this was a fantastic project that met – that met a young talent that was able to embody what this needed. And it was such a perfect meeting of the two that I think it was, that it created, it was the best for both.
1: Do you think as an actor, is it hard to play dumb the way he does? Like in that scene where they're in the diner and he's eating the cheeseburger and she's trying to Lord it over him. And he's, he's playing dumb. Like as an actor, he's playing dumb, but he's doing it really intelligently. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. That strikes me as really hard to do. Like you can be dumb and just have the camera pointed at you and your dumbness will be transferred, but you can't do all the other stuff that Travolta has to do in this movie and not be intelligent. And mm-hmm. You can't be – I don't think you can be that layer of an actor maybe unless you're really intelligent. And yeah, he's a little untrained. The whole movie is a little wild and a yeah. little loose and a little you know, 19, 23 years old, right? But there's a lot of subtlety in what he does, and there's a lot of like acting with expressions and not words, and there's a lot of – um just poignancy in what he does that I'm, that I'm really, I don't know how old he was when he made this movie. Yeah. Um, he's supposed to be 19 in the movie. Uh, he was probably 23, 24. Something I can't like imagine. I he must've been older you know, than this that.
0: This was also the, uh, the era where, where people were cast a lot, <laughs> a lot younger than, uh, than they actually were. Karen but Lynn no, Gorney like as Stephanie. I didn't mean to take anything away from him because no, no, he no. really, yeah, there, I think, and I think what is, you know, it's a question about what does acting really mean? Like he knew this character is reacting to that. Mm-hmm. He is, excited to be with her and wants to impress mm-hmm. her. And at the same time, he might be insulted, but doesn't want to, you know, yeah. it's just him being conscious of all the, of those things. Yeah. You can see them as opposed to anything he's yes. doing, you know what I mean? And yeah. and that is a kind of intelligence, absolutely. Right. And even somebody who might be a, in quotes, sort of dumb character, like dumb yeah. people think too, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And and he's not necessarily a dumb guy so much as unambitious or and also very young. They, they right. talk a lot about like his lack of ambition. She's yeah. supposed to be a few That's years true. older yeah. than him. And who knows what he would be like in a couple of years, but right. he does have some cognizance yeah. of, of a future that he and doesn't he want. And he a code.
1: Like, he's he's somehow, you feel that he's a good guy, even though he does some horrible things yeah. in the movie. I mean, certainly, I don't want to say he rapes Stephanie in the car, but he's certainly forcing himself upon her and she's she's saying no. Yeah. And it stops before it gets to that point. But he does that um, his attitudes towards the other women in the movie are obviously dismissive and it's of course we're it's it's hard to watch this now and not think about how if the movie came out now even though it's tr- it's trying to sort of be anthropological in its examination of this subculture it, it would probably get killed for the depictions yeah. of the things that it that it does and for pulling no it doesn't pull any punches in terms of the language these guys use and their attitudes are portrayed really straightforwardly and negatively. But like we were saying before, I think the women also have kind of an interesting subtlety to their portrayal, even as I wouldn't say they're the most developed characters in the movie, but Stephanie and Annette are given, I think, greater depth as characters than maybe you would think they would be. Absolutely. I think Annette is really a tragic, yeah. is a tragic character. and uh, I love Donna Peskow. Is that the name Donna of the actor? Donna yeah. You never watched Angie? You're too young for that. See, I when guess, I was a yeah. kid, She had a sitcom Angie? Angie with Robert Hayes. Uh, no kidding. In like the 80s. Um, what was
0: the premise of that? Well, the premise was Born that she was Brooklyn.
1: Angie. That I know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> really start. remember. Uh, I know that Robert Hayes. Let me just give you what I think the premise was from sure, memory, and did. then you can see how wrong I am. I believe that she was a couple with Robert Hayes, and then there was a funny mother character who's played by somebody famous who I can't remember right now. Um, and I think it was just about her, her her life, her struggle. <laughs> I don't remember.
0: Uh, bravo. I don't uh, No wonder that pitch got picked. It'll up. probably be like uh, Angie was about Angie Falco is a middle class Italian American who marries the wealthy Brad Benson, oh, okay. and she there soon learns go. how to adjust to her new lifestyles. Right. Okay. The hard Fish way. Fish out of water. Fish, out of, Fish water. out of water. Yeah. Full cast and crew was brought to you by Chuckler. Chuckler features award-winning original web series from social media's funniest comedians, as well as the best stand-up comedy, parodies, fake commercials, and interviews with your favorite comedy writers and creators. Find us and like us on Facebook. Chuckler. Original comedy, delivered daily. I'm always bothered by this when I watch this movie.
1: Karen Lynn Gorney, who plays Stephanie. I think she's good, but I think Donna Peskow as Annette is better. I think Donna Donna Peskow to me gives more believable layers to Annette, mm-hmm. even though Stephanie is the main female character of the movie. But then that's what she's supposed to be, I guess. She's supposed to be someone who's full of shit. And so you recognize that she's full of shit. And maybe that's kind of a thankless role in the way where Donna Pescow's is coming from a place of total innocence, really. Yeah. Annette is totally innocent and just loves and worships Tony and doesn't really stop to think about how he's hurting her, but it's through her that we see how he's hurtful. Yeah. And he's he's actually kind of a dick, not only to her, but to Bobby, like, you know, the heartbreaking thing, like, you said you were gonna call me, Tony, you never Absolutely. called me, like, he didn't call him. I mean, he didn't call him. So and after borrowing After, his after car, borrowing his car <laughs> to help her move in. So Tony's kind of a dick, but we like him somehow. And I think that's because of Travolta. I and- think
0: even, I, I, I agree with you, but I will say that I think it's also because he is trying to, and I think the bond that he and Stephanie have are that they're both trying to better themselves. That dancing is right. for them, sort of this way out of living in this this community. Yeah. That that I don't think that the I don't think that the movie says like all the misogyny and racism is just because of the community. Right. That it's right. not that he it's not that he's so much better, but he does have at least some consciousness that there is something more to life that he is mm-hmm. having an awakening. Or he towards comes him to realize to, that over the course of the movie. I, but I think, well, in the fact, I think somehow with the way he talks about his dancing, that's tapping into... But he that doesn't really talk about it. He
1: doesn't talk about it. Other characters talk about his dancing, but I don't recall him. The only thing I remember him saying, he, and it, it's... It struck me as a little clunky when I watched it. He says to Stephanie outside after, I think, the second or third rehearsal, he says, how can we never talk about how we feel when we're dancing? He says, that's the the only kind of moment where I feel like he talks about it. Then his brother, you know, in the scene where he takes his brother to the disco and he's like, man, you're... You know, that guy's great, by the way. That guy that guy, that guy is the embodiment of the like out of water, like nerdy brother. And he sort of unabashedly like admires his brother's dancing in a way that's kind of funny. And I don't even remember the word he used He says it's like, you've really got something. It's magical. They can't take your eyes off of you. It's magnetic. Like that's really the that's those are the people that talk about. It. But but Tony doesn't really talk about his dancing.
0: But he does take it very seriously. Absolutely. I guess. And yeah. So when he's talking about, I was thinking specifically about the rehearsals with yes. Annette. Oh, he definitely takes it Stephanie. seriously. And I think the way he talks about it, he doesn't about it. Pontificate like, about it you know. he doesn't pontificate, but he does say, like, this is. This is our. This yeah. is the thing to do. Right. And yes, there's a, a cash prize, but I think he enjoys the sort of status of given yeah. by sort of being the best at it. So to me, it seems like there is something aspirational that both that he and she share because she we meet right. her at the dance place trying to learn, I guess, ballet or whatever she's yeah. sort of practicing yeah. on her own to kind of better herself. Right. And I think they share that. One thing that I think is just so great about the movie, the fact that it ends with them being friends. Yeah, and it's not a romantic yeah. relationship. Despite him, yeah. you know, the fact that she's she's uh, able to forgive the uh, attempted the near rape. rape.
1: Yeah, well, she has a
0: forgiving, forgiving mind. <laughs> um, but I think that, yeah. that's the fact that it's not about a sexual thing. It's About they have some this overlap and this crossover in their soul. That even if they they are very different in some ways, and that she's not as great as she thinks he is. She is, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of thing. Whereas. Um, Annette and all the other mm-hmm. the other faces are content to live the life that is sure. sort of given to them. Yeah. I mean they 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 grouse about it in the beginning, right. but they they will continue with the rituals. Sure. and so the rites and the rituals. And it seems like the thing that that bonds Tony yeah. and Stephanie is is a sort of consciousness of totally. something else.
1: I, I think what I what I like about it, which I think is just maybe a theme that I like in general. So I may be reading this into the movie, but I'm pretty sure this is this present in the movie is that the arc they go through is that by the time they get to the dance contest Tony not so much Stephanie she still wants to win and is happy to accept yeah. the trophy even though it's obvious to us the viewer that they didn't dance the best that the Puerto Rican couple deserves to win first place and doesn't because of the inherent racism in the the contest or whatever it is right but Tony by that by that point he's he he's kind of over the the status conferred unto him by the disco and by his dancing. At that point, his arc is like, he realizes that the one place he has status is kind of full of shit. Yeah. And and that's not where it's at for him either. And so that's when he's, he really becomes unmoored and is as the most lost as a person in the movie, really from that section on until the end. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. Like it doesn't glorify being someone in the nightclub or being someone in the world of celebrity in a way that you might think, a movie from this era would or a movie about that that situation. It gets that right. It gets the have you ever been in a nightclub in the morning when the lights go on? Yeah. And it, it suddenly, you know, there are holes from stilettos in the banquettes. There are there are cigarette burns. There's cracked plastic cups. It's a place of hollowness and desperation. And the collective
0: fantasy is over. And the collective they, fantasy is over. Yeah.
1: No. And so that that that's like an interesting. I mean, it sounds weird to be talking about Saturday Night Fever and, and talking that deeply about it, but that is always apparent to me when they lose when they lose slash win the contest. I still think he could have maybe given the guy the five hundred dollar envelope and taken the two hundred fifty dollar envelope for second place. Like that still would
0: have been useful to them. You yeah. Didn't have to give all the money over, but that's just something. Yeah. When you're nineteen, you yeah. don't think you don't think that well. Uh, so we had both mentioned. Uh, Joseph Callie. Oh, wait, is that, oh, is that sorry? Bobby? No, that was Joey. Sorry. That, uh, that was Joey. Joey, JJ. Double J. Paul. Double J. Paul Pape. Uh, I also. Oh, it was Frank Jr. Sorry. Martin Shakar, who played Frank Jr., the, the awesome. defrocked priest. Frank, how come you left, really? It's not easy to explain, Anthony. A lot of things. One day you look at a crucifix. All you see is a man dying on a cross. But that's only a backdrop to something else. Mama and Papa, their dreams of pious glory. They turn you into what they wish at a time. You can't defend yourself against their fantasies. All I ever really had any belief in was their image of me as a priest. So, he was great. He was great. What uh, else has he done? Well, Uptown Girls. Yeah, it's not. He is also he is not Griffin Dunn. He's he not. looks a lot like him. No, but uh, he is
1: also not Alan Alda.
0: <laughs> He's a beefier Alan Alda, uh, and I guess a beefier. Oh, Griffin what about Dunn. Fran Drescher? Hello,
1: all, like uh, this, what, uh, all of a sudden, like did you remember? I did not remember. I never remember she's in the movie. She's actually really funny in this. She's great. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, she is great. Like, wow, what a thankless role. Uh, yeah, but it's also like she's so funny, and like she can't dance, and that, and she does that so convincingly. Yeah. <laughs> that I, I don't know. It was brilliant. I just thought that was really it's just a funny thing that I forgot that she was in this movie. Oh, and also one of my favorite character actors, Robert Costanza. Costanzo. Oh, is he the guy He's who the paint is- store customer? I need some brushes. All right. How much paint are you planning to do? After these school rooms, I wouldn't paint my wife's ass purple. What color is it now? You want to know what color my wife's ass is? You brung it
0: up? Actually, it ain't got no color. Just stripes, them stretch stripes. What about them brushes? <laughs> that guy was, was in every movie. Director. I was about to say. Yeah.
1: He's that guy. These were, th- this was his heyday. Robert Costanzo. I bet you if you look at his page as an actor, I guarantee you this guy's been working since the 60s and has hundreds of listings in 279 every hundred and seventy-nine actor credits. Okay. Most recent, he's still he's still doing it. Two. Yeah. He has three movies. Granted, he's playing Porn King in one of them. It's coming so out. So close. I, but you know, maybe it. that's like an art film. To me, this is what an actor is. This guy has been <laughs> in every TV show and hundreds and hundreds of movies since 1975. First that's role. Amazing. Dog Day Afternoon, uncredited.
0: New York policeman. City policeman, and then he goes, you know, into the golden age of like yeah. the hour-long, yeah, network oh, drama. Hart show, Rhoda,
1: Beretta, Lou Grant, Lou Grant, Joe and Valerie. Who can re- who what can forget Fatso? that? So, oh, Fatso, that's that movie. With, um, oh my God, Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise. That's a great movie. Is it really? No, in my memory, it is. Yeah, I think there's a lot it's of that probably, with Dom DeLuise. I wonder if it's good. It's probably not good. It's I don't know. Do you think it's about the existential struggle with weight and self-image, or do you think it's a movie about a fat guy cramming his face with foods and falling? Why not both? I'm sure, that's, <laughs> I'm sure the existential angst is very sub-Rosa. Uh, did you notice that um, when Travolta in the beginning um, gets the slices of pizza and the pizza worker says, uh, hey, Tony, two or three, that that is Travolta's sister? Oh really? And Travolta,
0: wow! Did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. But I'm just. Learning I was that so. Uh, I was so taken by the fact that he actually ate both the slices, two slices at once. I,
1: I guess that's a thing
0: because he just was out there for
1: the Gaudi premiere, which that we should definitely watch. Oh. The, the, the when that comes out. Um, you know how I feel about The Lineman? If, okay. if anyone, Has anyone seen The Lineman? Remember, no. oh, I never sent you the trailer? No. Okay, we'll have to do a whole episode on The Lineman. That's, oh, that's a
0: more recent Travolta movie that's worth discussion. Oh, because I was going to say, like, maybe with Battlefield Earth. It, it's Gai, even better than Battlefield uh, Earth. What is The Lineman about?
1: It's about a guy who works on power lines. But it's that's really a about the existential dread <laughs> that The Lineman feels. Anyway, um, yeah, that's one of the cameos. His sister... And I think his mother is also in the movie, and I'm trying to see where she is, but I don't see her listed here.
0: Helen Travolta was Lady in the Paint Store?
1: Oh, she was? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Lady in—oh, so she must be the woman where he comes—the whole walking scene, which is the other thing—these are other things I don't get. I'm just not that smart. I need to watch movies so many times. I never understood that the famous walking scene was because— the store he works at ran out of a certain paint that the old lady wants. He
0: has to go to the other store buy yeah. it and walk it back. That's what the whole scene is. Absolutely. Did you know? I didn't. I did not know that until watching <laughs> it. But uh, because I just thought, you know, yeah. you, it starts out and you think like, oh, he's sexy and he's awesome. And yeah. Look at those shoes. And then you go, yeah. wait, he's carrying paint. He's yeah. on an errand. <laughs> he's on an errand. <laughs> he's yeah. on an errand for like a pretty, yeah. you know, no offense. And he does a layaway for people. the blue shirt, which oh. I think is great. Does,
1: and I'm, does he ever get that shirt? Is that the shirt he wears? No, he doesn't wear it later on. But the clothes are amazing. The, the dance, the the, the the shirts and the the trousers I mean how about um speaking of the clothes there's one weird scene where it's when Travolta borrows the car from Bobby and Bobby is like really falling apart and he's like you're gonna call me right you're gonna call me later right you're gonna call me later I'm gonna I'm in a terrible rush I hate to leave you like this You got no idea how much I appreciate this I mean this car is very
0: important for me today you know Will you call me tonight yeah I'll call you I'll call you don't worry about nothing all right, all right. take care I'll talk to you later then yeah call me tonight right yeah you're gonna call me tonight
1: And Bobby walks away, and he's wearing these weird white platform, platform heels. Yeah. What is that?
0: That's He's a little is he guy. Try, he's
1: trying. I guess, yeah, I, that's what it is. He's I a think, little guy, and he's trying too hard. Yeah. That guy's great, man. Bobby. I mean, he gets me every time.
0: Yeah. And actually, the scene between, you know, we had talked before about the, the crappy ADR. Again, yeah. you know, if the ADR person ever hears this, no offense. I'm sure you got better. Um, between him and uh, Frank Jr., like that scene was great because you also so good. both for the desperation that Bobby has, looking for somebody to listen to yeah. him and let, looking for somebody to understand. For Frank Junior, a priest who like wants yeah. to like live out in the world, not have that responsibility yes. anymore, and yet still being drawn back. Yeah, um, the desperation of asking if the if he can talk to the Pope for a special.
1: Yeah. Also, Stephanie kind of like you know dismisses him later on. You know, he tries to talk to her after the White Castle yeah. scene.
0: Stephanie, listen, can I talk to you for a second?
1: Um.
0: I got a friend of mine. You know, he's a, he's a very good friend of mine. and he, he, he got a girl pregnant. He got a girl pregnant. And and I wanted to know if you, if you had to make a choice
1: between getting an abortion and then I have to get married to somebody, what would you do?
0: Well, who'd I have to marry? You'd have, you'd have to marry me. You'd have to marry me. Yeah, I think I get an abortion
1: oh my God, everyone is so mean to each other in this movie. But that to me is true about when you're a teenager, like you're unintentionally cruel, at least in my damaged scene of Friends, yep. I re- recall being unintentionally cruel and having unintentionally cruel things said and done to me. Like, I thought the movie got that really kind Absolutely. of right.
0: like Because I would even say sometimes, I mean, it is intentionally cruel that because there is a, a kind of status thing that's constantly being, yeah. you know, sort yeah. of jockeying. And there is something about, I guess, that age where you kind of like the sharp elbows yeah. that I think it sort of caught that. And I yeah. think, you know, obviously Bobby, he's got a problem that's a little bit bigger. Yeah. And so all of these characters are, you know, they're getting to the end, like you know, to pick up on the metaphor you used it's getting close to uh closing time at the disco, right. you know, they're the time that they have had their yeah. adulthood or sort of other responsibilities are sort of encroaching yeah. in
1: just one last note on Bobby. Barry Miller. You've probably seen the movie fame. He's great in fame. Do you remember him in fame? I haven't seen, fame. he plays Ralph in fame. You haven't seen fame? I haven't Chris. seen fame. Oh my God. So you've seen Ishtar like 30 times. But yeah. you haven't seen fame. Okay.
0: Um, I don't want to live forever.
1: So you know it well enough (laughs) to
0: know that. I mean, right. The song was there. Wait, which which one was Bobby? Okay. So there's Bobby C. He was Bobby C. Barry Miller plays Bobby C. Right. Sorry. And I was confusing him with Joey at first.
1: Which one's Joey? Joey's 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 the one who, uh. He's, he's like the more, wait, who plays Joey? Because he's kind of like a seventies, um. Joseph Caller. Oh, he definitely looked exactly. He's that guy. Yeah. He's a, that guy. I say that guy. That means he's been in everything forever. Yeah. Um. Oh, interestingly enough, Joseph Kelly's last credit in 2008, the Saturday Night Fever video game. I wonder what that could be like. I was actually,
0: I saw that that came <laughs> up, uh, that, that's a, that that video game came up. Wow. I guess you have to get to the disco before it closed. I'm hopeful that it has some sort of like. Travolta and go, No, I want leader. to go back
1: to like existential dread. Like I hope it has some, you know, kind of like. Hurt Bobby unintentionally Lose 20 life points You know what I mean Like I hope it has some
0: Apologize to mom Gain 15 experience right. it, points some of, some of the same insights That the film has uh, It only has a cast of two You mean uh, only two people From the movie Only Stephanie only, and Joe only, Are the only people um, In the movie Okay
1: that's what I was gonna say Carolyn Gorney,
0: I don't remember her Ever being in
1: anything else After this movie And that might be My mistake Yeah um,
0: She's got 36 credits Which uh, But
1: what happened to her After years, this movie I'm see. trying to look Okay, so she went from 1977 being in Saturday Night Fever, being the lead female role. Her next film credit is the in hard way. 1991 as Woman in Subway. There's a mystery there. There's a story there, Chris, that's worth unpacking, perhaps.
0: Well, let's see. Perhaps if we were to look. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's in her IMDb bio. Maybe it's TV that she went to do. But these are her actress I those credits. Those would be, I was going to say, they would be there. Well, let's see in her bio,
1: her full bio. Um, Classically trained actress. Waka, waka, waka. Carnegie Mellon. That's where my wife went. Uh, wow. She's received raves, everything from William Shakespeare and Neil Simon. She was born in
0: Beverly Hills, California. Recorded a self-penned album, Used to Love You Madly. Hmm. The record contains songs that detailed the inner life of Gourney's character, Stephanie Mangano, from Saturday Night Fever. She wrote the entire album in her dressing room while filming Fever and finished recording the album in 1979. Hmm. Reissued in two thousand two, but now out of print. So you're too late. How about late. this? Due to her
1: success, she worked as an acting and dancing teacher at the now defunct JoJo's Dance Factory from nineteen eighty 1980 to nineteen eighty two. I mean, <laughs> this is a good. Would, there's a good story going on here. Say, there, there I don't are know. Details missing. Something I, happened here.
0: It does seem like she tried for the music career more than the acting career. Is my Do you think? what I'm getting? Yeah, because she recorded that album. to— Performed in the 70s jazz funk pop band Wendigo. Right, but what years were those happening? I guess it does say the 70s. Huh. Once managed a shop that sold cartoon art, where Howard Stern producer Gary (laughs) Delavante bought the infamous (laughs) Baba Booey cell.
1: This this is, it gets deep. I don't know, there's there's something about her in the role that never has quite gelled for me, and I don't know why. I feel like Donna Peskow's portrayal of Annette is somehow more authentic in a way, and I, I'm never quite resolved with Carolyn Gorney as Stephanie. There's some. There's always something that's. I don't know. I don't know if it's. She's not quite a good enough actor, or if it's just that she has a thankless role in the sense that her whole role, the entire time we know her until almost the very end of the movie, she's like purposefully full of shit and trying yeah. to get one over on everybody. And so that means that she's by, by nature of the role somewhat less, I th- you know what I mean? Is that what it is? is actually, she's kind it, of faking
0: her way through the role in a way that she has to. I, th- I think I so. Know. Like I, I would assume that a lot of that stuff is deliberate. The, and again, not th- not that they're like, Hey, you know, don't be magnetic. Don't be that, <laughs> that yeah. great. He is attracted to her. I think as a dancer first, m- as much as sexual you know because yeah. he sees her as a dancer. And do you think they have any chemistry together as an on-screen pair? I not particularly, but again, I, I would think that that's almost like that's deliberate because the thing that happen. they really share is that dancing thing and this aspirational thing, and that's why they can end up being friends in the end. And yes. I do think that everything but it's that you're not like saying they're about gonna the be magnetism
1: dancers, although he certainly looks like he could be in the movie, like that's one thing I think is kind of funny at the end when it's all like, "What are you going to do?" I don't know. I don't have any ideas. It's like, dude, you're that good. <laughs> like you can pretty much be a professional dancer. Like you don't have to really think about what career yeah. you're going to jump into if you're that good.
0: I was just thinking, like, you know, there's got to be a pain like story, in Manhattan. There's nothing
1: in her performance that we were ever like, wow, she's the most amazing female dancer at the disco. I do think that the arc of the characters is compelling, and I think it's really moving at the end. And I kind of like the way that's shot at the very end, yes. like from above when they're in the window. Like, it's so 70s, and it's so um, – I don't know. I feel the emotions, you know, that are going on when they, when they shoot that scene there. It looks really good. They're good together in that. But it's almost like – only when she becomes only be when they become real to each other and she drops that thing and he kind of drops his thing, do you really have some moments of connection between them? and I guess that's the
0: point and, and that's, that's I, I guess that's what I thought so. about it about it being deliberate like yeah. he he sees what she thinks what he thinks is a great dancer and as, sort of assumes a lot onto her and reads a lot into her and I do think that the movie unpacks that there's again, you know everybody's complicated in their own way, but she doesn't have yeah some of the things that he read into it, but they still do have, but they are both still people trying to better themselves. Whereas with Annette, there's the tragedy of somebody who has this depth of feeling, but is also in a culture Mm -hmm. or social structure that, um, doesn't allow it to come out in ways. And actually it makes her very vulnerable to be being taken advantage of.
1: Yeah. This Um, is one thing I always wonder about movies like this, when you have Travolta and you have the other faces, right, you have the three other guys or the four other guys with Travolta in the movie. Like, Travolta's so obviously the center of attention, and rightfully so, and that's the way the screenplay is, and that's what's supposed to happen. And he's the star stepping out of the movie, so of course he's that. Would the movie be better if all those guys were better, or can you not have all those guys be as good as he is because then it doesn't work that he's the leader of the guys? I think sort of like that. Then it becomes like an Like when ensemble. you're putting
0: together a movie. Like but I'm anything. sure it's not like we don't want uh, we don't want the best guys, but then you'd have something like Diner. But do you actually think that you say F- that
1: where they're like, Oh, this guy's too like he's too good. Like your your eyes gonna go to him when he's in a scene with Travolta, and we need Travolta to be be the focus, right? I doubt that. Do people think like that? I mean I don't think so. That's what I I think, I always wonder. But I mean because those look, guys aren't quite as good they Well, all, not even not quite. They're not anywhere near as good as actors as Travolta is yeah.
0: in the movie. I mean, but they all, you know, they all went on to have careers. You know, they all survived and stuff like that. Had sure. some some kind of career, and I'm sure some of that, the directors like, look, uh, where the focus is on um, well, on probably, Tony. Yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, not that they're saying, yeah, like, when they're like, hey, he's taken over again, dial down being interesting. Yeah. I don't think it's so much that. No, Everybody I know what you're saying. I just don't. To, I wonder um, if they think
1: that when you're casting a movie, you know what I mean? Like, like think- if Mickey Rourke was one of those guys, would it not work? Because in this in this time frame, Mickey Rourke is so fascinating on screen that you're like, "Whoa, that guy's really interesting." Or would it make the movie better because those kind of throwaway ancillary characters in the faces suddenly have something equally as interesting, but different than Travolta's yeah. arc? Because we don't know anything about those guys—what they do for a living, what their struggles are—except for Bobby, mm-hmm. you know, got his girlfriend pregnant, can't handle it, and is falling apart. But al- but also kind of falling apart for really unspecified reasons. Throughout the whole movie, other than he got his girlfriend pregnant, which is presented as uh, something he has to kill himself over or Mm -hmm. take a reckless risk over.
0: Though I think the implication to me the whole time is that that these guys are almost – almost undifferentiated that they are like living in the community and that it's the community that it's not just that he got the girlfriend pregnant it's that he got her pregnant because he sort of didn't know what else to do and now he has to marry her because there are these rules and I I think that's the stuff that crushes everybody and um, you know everybody becomes kind of twisted by it Full Cast and Crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in Kids are turning into monsters, and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again, but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them, as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comicsology today.
1: Okay, last uh, thing I want to talk about before we go, we have to talk about the music.
0: Oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> Hey, this is Matt, the engineer. So apparently
1: Chris and Jason did not get the memo from the lawyer stating that we can't use music from this movie in the podcast. So that's why you're you're hearing this. Um, I do suggest that you check out the soundtrack for this movie, though, because it is a clinic in harmonization and orchestration. All right. Here are the guys. It still it strikes me as weird, too, in a way. And I know it's disco. Yeah, but it's always strange to me. It's one of those examples where, in a where in a way, you would never think like, okay, we're making a movie about Italian American culture in um,
0: Bay, Ridge, Brooklyn. Bay Ridge,
1: Brooklyn. So the soundtrack is definitely going to be by three British, like Australian transplant disco artists, like. If I was putting the movie together back then, I would probably go for like Tavares or something who you see the records yeah. of Tavares, a lot of the movie. like were the BGS already the, I don't think they were the biggest thing in music at the time or even the biggest thing in disco at the time. Yeah. I think this made them big, even though they'd been around for a lot of years. I know they had a different iteration, um, but it's one of those weird things. There's another example I can't think of right now where, oh, it was uh, in the, I just read the Caddyshack book and um, in the making of Caddyshack, they talk about at the end, they needed a song and- The producer uh, had worked on a movie with Kenny Loggins and he was like, we're going to use Kenny Loggins. And of course, everybody making Caddyshack was like National Lampoon, Saturday Night Live, drug addicted, reprobates, having a hell of a lot of fun, totally counterculture. And the idea that Kenny Loggins would be doing the theme song was like anathema to all these guys. But you can't think of Caddyshack without thinking of yeah. I Am All Right Now. Hey, Matt the Engineer again. So same lawyer deal with us not being able to use the music from the movie and the podcast. So that's why you're hearing this again. And I wonder, like when you hear this soundtrack now, is it, yeah. is it sort of a similarly weird juxtaposition that totally works? Because my God, it totally
0: works. The songs, their songs. Yeah. Are the songs of the movie? I completely agree. I hadn't thought of it that way, though. To me, disco and that culture represented in the same way that that Manhattan did. uh, Mm -hmm. Represented such an aspirational sort of Mm otherworldly, otherworldly thing that was sort of location-based music in a way.
1: You're not like I'm listening to the sounds of New York or the sounds of no, because they they want out.
0: They want out of of Bay Ridge. They want out of the kind of life that they that they know. So having. The sort of ethereal quality to those high voices. It's also funny, and this is a great thing about any kind of cultural thing, how um, luck and chance and circumstance Mm -hmm. will sort of bring things together that will sometimes work very well. Like they could have gotten the financing for this movie because, like, we want to do a disco tie-in, something about yeah. the, you know what I mean, for sort of some venal purpose, and yet they yeah. were able to find this yeah. this really touching and well, strong story Well, I think that the
1: is, like, Robert Stigwood, who's the producer of the movie, it's an RSO production, which you might, from my childhood, I always remember seeing that on record labels, uh-huh. RSO, Robert Stigwood organization. He was a legendary impresario. I believe he represented the Bee Gees prior to this, and that's probably why they're in the movie, because he yeah. was sort of the progenitor of packaging, you know, in terms of like, oh, here's this movie. And I represent all these different pieces of talent and I'm going to make a movie starring all of them. And, um, and that's, I think how they ended up in the movie. And then the soundtrack to this day is still the second biggest selling soundtrack of all time. Do you know what the first one is? Uh, Titanic? No, that's a good guess. Uh, I don't think you're going to guess. Pulp Fiction? No, although that's probably on the top ten. Uh, the bodyguard soundtrack is number one.
0: Oh, really? I guess yes. that made, yeah.
1: <laughs> on the strength of one single. Yeah, but I was like about to say, I can't name is, Any other? Next can't song I can't on name it. any other songs on it either. But the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack is still number two. The other thing I want to say about Travolta: the three movies that Travolta made in this era, uh huh, um, are kind of amazing. I mean, Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Then. He makes an unforget. he makes a forgettable movie, regrettably, which is also another Robert Stigwood. He probably owed Stigwood um, another movie. Yeah. So he made a movie. Uh, well, first of all, he made Grease. Okay. Saturday Night Fever, then Grease, then a, movie, I- then a movie called Moment by Moment, which is the forgettable one, which stars him and Lily Tomlin. I've never seen it, but I was reading about it. It sounds weird. Then he makes Urban Cowboy. Wow. So Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Urban Cowboy as a trilogy. Before you even get to Blowout, which I think is a great movie. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. Um, And then, of course, one of my favorite bad movies of all time is Perfect. Have you ever seen that? Yes. You're probably going to, when we get there, you're going to make a case that Ishtar is somehow a worthy film. I I could probably make a case also that Perfect... Goes hand in hand with Saturday Night Fever, although I don't believe that
0: the story holds up. There's no, there's no stakes, as I recall. I was about to say, like, it, it seems to me, like, hey, we had this formula of this, this anthropological New York <laughs> yeah. magazine. Like, let's Where do another Where else can we thing. do it? Yeah, Instead aerobics. Of discos, we'll do it about aerobics. The world of aerobics. And it's just not as uh, it's not as exciting because I, I don't think you can have like you can have sex in the disco or yeah. in the car. Yeah, you can't do that in the uh, during the aerobics
1: class. You know, I'm just looking at Travolta's page here, and it's so f- he's had the weirdest career. You really go from blowout, which you probably say is the last good movie he made in the 80s, 1981, yeah. all the way through the famed reinvention through Pulp Fiction in 1994. And then a movie that I will watch all the way through every time it's on, uh, Get Shorty. He's so yeah. good in that. It's such a great movie.
0: But um, like that 13-year hiatus, it's not like he was- No, no. I
1: mean, there's movies. I'm just not reading them out. No, no, no. I know He's working I, all the time. I was but just going to say- But he, like, I don't know why he makes these bad choices. I saw that he famously passed on American Gigolo- and Officer and a Gentleman, both of which funny. went to Richard Gere, yeah. um, which is probably
0: right for them in a way that he wasn't. But I think it would have been, they would have been like because he is great. And yes, he took a yeah. sort of, what I was going to say, it's not, it, I wonder what the, were people not calling because they were no. Oh no, man, uh, I just think that's probably Hollywood, right? You make weird choices and you,
1: you know, you owe people movies or you need the money or who knows? I mean, Michael's a great movie. I love that movie. You see that where you see the chain smoking not, angel? Not, I can see that. That's a, what do you mean?
0: Why are you scoffing? Because he's got a mullet and it's an angel. It's a good it's, movie. Mm. It's a
1: good movie. Keep your mind open. I, um, how about Primary to... Colors? Never saw it, but I hear what? that. What? Oh my God. You never I've saw seen prim- Face Off You're a You're the times. most liberal Democratic guy yeah, you know, I don't, and it, you've never seen Primary Colors. Yeah. I don't need to it see has, the warts and all portrayal. It, it has the most like over-emoted scene where um, Kathy Bates makes a passionate argument over the, over the kitchen table of the Clintons about- why they're better, and she 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 famously goes, because our ideas are better. It's basically why, you know, 25 years later we would lose the election.
0: and well, we as lose president. the Supreme Court? Um, <laughs> Just trust to the ideas yeah. and trust that they will appeal. A civil action. Have you seen that? No. That's a I read that book. Great movie. I read that book. Um, really like that book. And that I did see a general's daughter. That is a, a terrible
1: movie. <laughs> um, I have not seen a general's daughter.
0: Or The Um, General's Daughter. The General's Daughter? Uh, Thin Red Line, he is great. Not to just sort of go, up, but- I don't remember Thin Red Line. That movie is amazing. That movie is not only amazing, but it is so, it has so many great actors in it who come for like short, weird roles, uh, including uh, Travolta, who is great.
1: General's Daughter. Then, of course, Battlefield Earth. I've never seen that. That gets so much attention. Swordfish, cheesy- Life on the Line is not called... It's not called The Lineman. Life on the Line is the movie I was talking about. Got it. Okay. And uh, maybe maybe when this is put together, you'll be able to play a couple choice lines from the trailer because it's quite amazing. All right, boys. Let's do this nice and clean, okay? Being a lineman ain't easy. It's the fourth most dangerous job in the United States.
0: You missed one!
1: That moment you ain't focused
0: will kill you. Our main mission is to protect the grid. Well, then what is he? He's a lineman, like you. We are linemen. It's what we do. Um, when was this? I'm looking this, forward on the- This was life 2015. On the- life, on the-
1: life on the Line. Let me just read you oh, the yeah. synopsis, because it's a pretty good one. Uh, a crew of men who do the high-wire work of fixing the electrical grid are hit by a sudden deadly storm.
0: Man, that's tough.
1: I mean- I want to talk about stakes. The delightful. lights could go out. Okay, those are the stakes <laughs> we're talking about here, and basically, Kate Bosworth plays Travolta's daughter, I believe, and like I he's, hope so. he's been an ad. He's been an absentee dad because of his devotion to the line, to life on the line, and then she falls in love with, who's the last person he would want her to fall in love with? Another, another lineman. Another lineman. Okay.
0: So what could what could go wrong? Sharon
1: Stone is in it. Talk about Hollywood. I mean, and Stuart Stone. I wonder if he's related to Sharon Sure, Stone. you got to hire Stuart if you're hiring Sharon. You know that. I was hoping. Uh, life on the line. I highly recommend everyone I, watch that. <laughs> I highly recommend everybody check out the trailer. Devote two hours of your life to that. You will. I not. will say the uh, the poster does look intense. It's the greatest bad trailer of all time. I'm going to state that unequivocally.
0: Uh, yeah, Life on the Line and Gotti. That could make for a for a great uh, double God, feature. Gotti out. That's oh, out of yeah. Came and went. That's you... the thing I was
1: telling you, where he went back to the pizza place and ate the slices of pizza. And I never noticed that he ate the two on top of on each top other. other. I guess that's like a famous thing that I'm probably the last person in the world to just be like, oh, look, Again, he's I just saw two the movie slices. yesterday, so for the first time. Yeah. But I guess he went back and he ate the two slices, and that was the big viral moment in the Gotti premiere.
0: Got it. Got it. Got the viral it. Viral moment, you... which I, I never caught that virus.